We're in our continuing series now about always overcoming with the caveat that we can't overcome anything in our own strength, but that through Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit living inside believers, He's the one who overcomes. And we know He can overcome because He has already overcome because of what Christ did for us. So today, we're looking at every day I'm allowing Christ to overcome my complacency. I had a good conversation with an old friend about that, and he said, this is one of my greatest struggles as a believer. I become complacent. I get to a point when I think, I'm satisfied. I'm okay with where I am in my spiritual growth. I don't feel like I really have to put forth a lot of energy. I just don't feel like doing much else. And so I'm just sort of going to sit in the status quo and I, I've got kind of a ho-hum existence, and I show up, and I do my time in worship, and I go home, and I do my stuff, but I, I'm just kind of complacent, and I don't want to be. So he confessed to me that this is one area in his spiritual life that needs some work. And I thought, well, that's a good one to address. Complacency, which basically means we've reached a point where we're just sort of okay with the way things are. And I don't know about you, but there are times when I realize I'm not okay. I'm definitely not okay. I'm desperate for what only God can bring, and I need to break through my complacency so that God can start helping me grow out of whatever has started to take over in my life. So that's what we're going to look at today, overcoming complacency. I used to go to VBS as a child. My mom and dad were very deep into ministry, so I had no choice. You know, you, you go because your parents say you're going to go. And we would have these contests so you could have scripture memorization. And we would have certain passages that they would hand out, and you'd memorize them. Some of them were short, and you could memorize them in a day, and you'd recite them the next day, and you'd win a prize. Because, of course, that's the right motivation, right? <laughs> and then there were slightly lengthier passages of scripture that you would have a real big prize if you could memorize the whole passage by the end of the week. And there was always that one kid. <laughs> and always that one kid who shows up. And he's going to show up, and he's going to say, okay, I did my one scripture verse. And so he would say, well, what is it? And he said, well, it's John eleven thirty five. And they'd say, what is that? And he'd say, Jesus wept. <laughs> and they'd reluctantly give him his prize and say, okay, kid, all right. But if he only knew that even though it's just two words, surrounding those two words are a passage that is just filled with great meaning and shows us some things about the only one who can help us rise above the storms and all the things that we've just sung about. Because John 11.35 is right smack dab in a passage when Mary and Martha were completely beside themselves because their brother Lazarus had died. And what we discover in that passage is that Jesus is very purposeful. He waited two days after he heard the news that Lazarus was sick unto death. Two days. And just stayed where he was. But that was on purpose. Sometimes it's easier for, for us to think, well, he's not answering my prayer right away, so we mistake that for maybe he doesn't care. And that wasn't the case at all. He was very purposeful in waiting until his time was right. Then we find out he was empathetic. Because even though he had the power to change the situation when he walked into it, when he saw how distraught and upset these people were over the loss of their friend, he wept. Those two words, Jesus wept. That shows us the depth of his humanity because he was God incarnate, 
felt everything we feel, and he feels everything we feel because he has felt everything we can experience emotionally. And he wept with them. Even though he was about to change things, which is where we get to the powerful part, because then he prayed out loud, not for his own benefit, for the benefit of all those who were listening in, and then he raised Lazarus from the dead. And in the midst of all that, in that little two-word, Jesus wept passage in John 11, we find out something huge, life-changing, because of what they discovered, Mary and Martha, about his identity. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die physically. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die because they'll have a resurrection of their own. And he was asking Martha if she believed that. She goes, yeah, someday we're going to get all that. He says, no, no, I am he. You're looking at him. I'm the resurrection. And then... We find out about his purposefulness. I'm backing up the time frame just a little bit to the time before he went down to Bethany to be with them because Bethany was only about two miles from Jerusalem. And he said to the guys after he waited there for two days, he goes, okay, let's go back. And the guys knew that that was trouble because they said, oh, but Jesus, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. And then to his credit, the guy that we usually call Doubting Thomas who's actually faith-filled Thomas in this situation. We might think of him saying what he said as being sort of a whining, okay, well, if we got to go back, we'll die with you. I don't see it that way. I think that Thomas, more than the other apostles, figured out what was going on because his response to that was, okay, if that's what it's going to take, you're asking us that we're going to go with you, and if so, and even if we die, I'm ready to go with you, Lord. That was Thomas. And so Jesus was going to go back, even though it was a dangerous place for him to go. So Mary and Martha were missing some of what Jesus was about because they were so clouded with their own grief. And grief definitely does that to every one of us as humans. And Christ wanted to show them something about himself. Then there's another one. If you want to earn uh, some sort of a prize in VBS this summer, let me give you another real easy one, a real freebie here. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Pray continually. <laughs> Say it with me and you'll have it memorized. Ready? Pray continually. You've got it. Very good. In some translations, it says pray without ceasing. Another one that's sort of a paraphrase says never stop praying. But that's another one that's power packed because we understand what that means as we start to read it in context with the other verses around it from the Apostle Paul who gave it to us. As I read this, I'm wondering if you're going to have the same thoughts that I did. You might start thinking, Paul, what does this have to do with praying continually? Because he says some things, and then he launches into this little mini-sermon. And the first couple of times I read through it, I'm thinking, I don't think you're following the theme very well. You need to go back to composition in English, <laughs> Paul, and learn how to write this, because this doesn't seem to connect. But I think it does, and I'm going to show you why. See that no one pays back evil for evil. Now, wait a minute. Wait. He says, pray continually. See that no one pays back evil for evil. See what I mean? Doesn't that seem just a little bit outside the area of what he was just talking about? But let's go with it anyway and see what he's talking about. But always try to do good to each other and to all people. He starts off his explanation after he tells us to pray continually with this. I wonder why. Maybe it's because he was seeing 
the inclination of man in these believers and that it was very tempting for them to pay back evil for evil. And he was trying to show them that they needed to be continually in prayer so that they would not slip into their old habits and ruin their testimony or their witness by behaving in a way that would be awful. And so he starts this out. See that nobody pays back evil for evil. And then he says, and always be joyful. Paul, this is so strange. Where are you going with this, buddy? But he does. Always be joyful. So when people are picking on you, be joyful. When people disagree with you at work, always be joyful. When your boss gives you more than you can handle, be joyful. When your car breaks down, be joyful. When you get a hangnail, be joyful. Always be joyful. I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to hang in here with you, Paul. I'm going to keep going through this passage with you. But I've got to say, looking back here to pray continually, I'm not sure where you're headed with all this. But okay, let's keep going. Always be joyful and be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And the big question that keeps coming up as we read through a lot of Paul's writings is, yeah, but Paul, but how? Saying, well, I'll show you how. Treat others kindly, because we're tempted not to. Pray continually. Be continually thankful in all circumstances. And we're going, all right, I'm okay, but how? Here's how. Let me give you a couple of examples. Thank you, Lord, that you are with me even in this situation. That's one prayer of thanksgiving. Even when you're stuck at the side of the road because your car broke down again, and you're waiting for your relative to come pick you up, or for that tow truck to come and replace your tire, or whatever. Thanks, Lord, that you are with me in this situation so that I'm not in this thing by myself. Paul and Silas had a situation like that. Acts chapter 16, they were in prison together. What were they doing? They weren't writing negative graffiti on the wall. They were praying and singing hymns together. And of course, God does a miracle there because he has the great earthquake. Bang! The prison doors fly open. The people are able to walk out. And he winds up, actually doing something miraculous with that situation too, and turns it into a witnessing opportunity. Thanks, Lord, that you're with me in this situation. That's a prayer of thanksgiving. I'm thankful that this situation drives me to my knees. How many times could we really pray that and mean it? I have, and very often it's been after I have been in a state of continual prayer because I've been so distraught over something. I've been unable to push past my complacency until I get into a situation that's over my head and the storms are raging around me and I'm thinking, God, I, I can't do this on my own. I really need to be hitting the knees now. And I wake up two or three times a night and I continue to pray. And then I'm thinking, oh, wait a minute. You know, I hadn't prayed this fervently and this often in a long time. And I've needed to. So that's not a bad thing. So thank you, Lord, that even though this situation is not one I would have chosen, thank you that I am driven to my knees because I'm getting to know you better. That's a good prayer. Or how about this one? I'm thankful that you, Lord, can reveal yourself and your grace, your character, to others through how I'm going to respond to this situation. I know it's not a good situation. And I know that right now what I feel like in my flesh and those desires are fighting against what your spirit is telling me I should do in response to this. But I know that after I've really hit my knees in prayer often enough, and you finally reveal your will and how I'm supposed to respond, that as I do so in your spirit, you're going to overcome because you're going to reveal yourself to other people. 
And that's what I want more than anything. I don't want to retaliate. I don't want to throw this napalm bomb onto the situation by handling it the wrong way out of my flesh. I want to handle this in a way that I'm going to reveal your grace to the people involved. And so show me how I can do that. That's a good prayer to pray in the midst of all that. And all that goes with what Paul was talking about. I'm thankful that even if the worst thing happens, that may have been one of the kinds of songs that Paul and Silas were singing even in prison, I'll be with you forever. I can still be thankful for that. I had a good friend, his name was Lewis. He found himself in just such a situation. He was on a short-term mission trip. They were in a closed country. It was a difficult country to be in. They had, like we have had in our Haiti trips, they had an armed guard guarding the compound where they were sleeping at night. But he heard a ruckus, and he heard some loud voices one night. It was probably early in the morning, actually. And then he heard some arguing, and all of a sudden they heard this really loud gunshot. And he thought, well, this could be it. And he said, I, I rolled over and whispered to my adult son who was with me on the trip, just lie still and don't say anything. And they were praying like crazy. And he thought, I don't know if they're going to walk in and shoot the rest of us or what's going on. As it turned out, nobody else was shot. Nobody else was hurt. There must have been a personal conflict going on between the person who came with the gun and the armed guard because it was the guard who was shot. But they weren't there to rob anybody or to kill the missionaries or anything else. And he said, but I found myself in this strange sense of peace that washed over me in that moment because I realized if the worst thing happens, I'm still okay. Because he's going to send me home early. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and I'll be in the presence of my Lord Jesus Christ. And he was okay with that, even though he was nervous, of course. There are always ways that we can be thankful, even in the midst of difficult situations. Here's some things that we can do, biblically speaking, that would help us overcome our complacency and try to start growing in a way of being aware of what the Holy Spirit wants us to do as we continue to mature in our faith and to grow to be more like Him. Number one, we should live in a constant state of dependency upon God. A constant awareness that I've got to have God's help in my life. I can't do this on my own. Jesus said, whoever takes the lowly position of this child, and He had brought a child to sit right on His knee among the rest of the people He was speaking with to give personal illustration. Whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. A couple of different times he referred to that, that dependency of a child, the honesty of a child. I love that song. I, I mentioned this last week, and I love it. I've been thinking of this song going through my head, especially when I've been in periods of prayer this last couple of weeks. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. It's a part of being dependent. Recognizing that even the oxygen that God made for us to breathe that keeps us alive is a gift from Him. How often I forget to thank God even for His basic gifts. It's your breath in my lungs that gives me the ability to even blow air across my vocal cords and to express praise for you. That's a pretty powerful concept. And I'm grateful for it. Number two, we should pray repeatedly and often to the God who saves. That word that means pray repetitively or continually, is the same word that's found over here in Romans 1. For God, whom I serve in my spirit by preaching the gospel of His Son, is my witness that I continually remember you 
And then that's my parentheses in my prayers for you. Because he didn't just remember them, he remembered them in prayer. Continually means repetitively and often. It doesn't mean that every moment of every day I'm continuing to be in prayer. But as I got the news just a few days ago about Haiti and some of the things that were going on there, I found myself popping back to that same concept several times a day, maybe 15, 20 times a day. And each time I would do that, I would just breathe a a quick prayer silently and say, God, I can't imagine what our pastor friends are going through right there. And so you know what's going on. Please continue to be with them. And that was it. I mean, it's just just a little 10-second time of my day, but it was repetitive and it was constant. And that's what Paul means when he's saying continually. And then third, we should pray without giving up on God's answer. That's where I think complacency can start to develop in our lives is when we prayed for a long time and we still haven't seen the answer we were hoping for and we kind of just stop praying. We think, well, what good is it if I'm still praying and nothing's happening? So don't give up. We should not give up on God's answer. Jesus has shared that wonderful parable and I wanted to read it from the Amplified Version because I like this version of it. Uh, sometimes I'll look into that because they'll add certain words to clarify what a word means for us in English. So they'll put little parentheses in there. It's almost like a mini commentary within the verse itself. This is what that parable sounds like in the Amplified Version. The persistent widow. Now Jesus was telling the disciples a parable to make the point that at all times they ought to pray and not give up and lose heart. Saying, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and had no respect for man. There was a desperate widow in that city, and she kept coming to that judge saying, Give me justice. Give me legal protection from my adversary. For a time, he would not. But later he said to himself, and I like the attitude of this guy. It's kind of funny in a way. I think Jesus, being a really good master teacher, knew how to use certain types of humor, and I suspect that there's a little bit of facetious humor even in what he says here for a time he would not but later he said to himself even though I do not fear God nor respect man yet because this widow continues to bother me I'll give her justice and legal protection otherwise by continually coming to me she will be an intolerable annoyance and she will wear me out Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not our just God defend and avenge his elect, his chosen ones, who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay in providing justice on their behalf? I tell you that he will defend and avenge quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find this kind of persistent faith on earth? It's a great contrast. It's not a comparison. He's not comparing God to the unjust judge. He's actually showing how God is so much more just even than that unjust judge. And if just because of her persistence, the unjust judge gives in to her, how much more does God want to do what's right for his chosen? So we ought not to give up in our prayers. Are you in a constant state of prayer for something or someone right now? I wanted us to pause and just breathe a silent prayer for 30 seconds and I'll wrap up and let's pray for that situation that you may have been losing sleep over and praying about even just this last week. Let's bow our heads 
and pray for whatever it is that you're in a constant state of prayer for. We're so grateful that you hear us even when we don't utter a word. And I know that you've been hearing the prayers of your people even in this moment of quiet. We lift those prayers to you with grateful hearts. Grateful that we're not alone in this situation. Grateful that you know the best way to answer this prayer even more than we do. And so we ask for your will to be done in each of these situations, and we pray it in Jesus' name. So how does our continual prayer overcome complacency? 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Isn't it interesting that we can pray for something and not be in His will? But Paul indicates that that's possible. For example, we can pray one prayer, Lord, Give me what I want, because it's important to me. That's one kind of prayer. But I really want it, God, and I want it now. But how about this prayer? Lord, show me your will, because you are more important to me than anything or anyone, even some of those strong desires in my own heart. I desperately want you to show me your will, because I want to pray in your will and not praying out of my own desire. Complacency may grow out of unanswered prayer. Here are some things to do if we're in God's waiting room and you're just not seeing the answers just yet. Number one, imitate those who faithfully persist in prayer with patience. Imitate others that you've seen who are constant prayer warriors. There are good books to read about people who are prayer warriors and you can see their journals and find out how God met them. George Mueller is one of them. I think Pastor Prediston is like a modern-day George Mueller because he doesn't beg for money. He doesn't put anything out there saying, we have this need. He'll just pray for it, and God provides. He's an incredible man of faith. I want to imitate him in my prayer life. Hebrews 6.12. We don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who, through faith and patience, inherit what has been promised. Isn't it true that it's easier for us to do something right if we're imitating somebody who's doing it well? I need that. When I was learning how to play the trombone as a child, somebody who was teaching me would say, do it this way, and then I could see what they were doing and how they were doing it. It's easier if you're imitating somebody. Somebody tries to teach me something on computer, I'm kind of a lost cause with that stuff. But if they'll look over my shoulder and I can watch them do it once, and then they talk me through it and I do it myself once, I can imitate it and I start to pick it up even though it's a difficult task for me. Same thing is true with prayer. Imitate those who are doing it well and just keep imitating those that God has put as our examples. Second, don't put your life on hold. There's a temptation when complacency creeps into our life to just say, eh, I'm giving up. I don't see any reason to keep at this. God doesn't care. He's not answering anything, so I'm just going to give it up. Don't put your life on hold. I remember a guy just popped into my head way back in seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. 
He worked at the company that Joy was working for at the time. She was helping to manage some high-rise office buildings. And there was a guy there who had been going to seminary for five years. He was just about to graduate. But he was just kind of in this holding pattern. He wasn't really doing anything to put the word out so that he could get his next job in ministry. And he said, well, what are you doing? Are you putting your resume out anywhere? Are you working in a local church somewhere? No, I'm just kind of waiting on God. But the way he defined waiting on God was to do nothing. It's hard for God to steer a parked car. (laughs) Don't put your life on hold, even if you're in God's waiting room. Do something, and here's some things we can do. Waiting is an activity when we're waiting on God. It's a time to develop biblical habits that God will use in your future as you move forward. Keep on praying. Matthew 7, 7. There's that continual tense to every one of these verbs in that passage that Keep on asking. I wrote a song like that way back in college. Keep on asking. Keep on knocking. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on. Keep on. Keep on. Don't give up. Secondly, keep on serving. So many people around here are doing that well. I commend our young people for serving the way they do. They roll up their sleeves. They get after it. I'm so proud of them. They're doing a great job and they're learning that it's purpose-filled to do that as we're serving others and it's a way to pull ourselves out of our complacency because when we're serving somebody else it takes our minds off of our own selfish desires which can be self-feeding and can send us in a downward spiral so keep serving other people Romans 12:11 never be lazy but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically another one keep on attending a small group I told you I was going to keep saying that I'm going to keep at it I've got a sheet in my briefcase And I've got all the different uh, responses, quite a few of them. Thank you for that. And I'm getting ready to start pulling the trigger on starting a couple of new small groups because many of you said I'm available on these dates. I've got these people who are willing to be hosts. I've got these people willing to be facilitators. We're going to match them all up, and we'll get something very soon out to you so we can get those going. But if you're not in one already, there's Growth Encounters at 930 every Sunday morning right here in this building. Excellent teaching. I commend them to you and been looking for ways to get together with fellow believers. Let's not give up the habit of meeting together. And then, keep on believing. Keep on believing the things you've been taught. You know they are true. For you know that you can trust those of us who have taught you. And we're not talking about somebody who just made this up. We're not talking about mythology. These are eyewitnesses to the truth. Said, you know you can trust those who taught you these truths. Keep on believing these things. Don't give up on believing these things. Hold fast to what you know. Be like my dad in that crazy pecan tree. (laughs) And we say pecan. I don't know how how you pronounce it, but the correct way is pecan, just so you'll know. (laughs) And my dad planted a pecan tree in front of our house in Phoenix, Arizona, and nothing happened. But he kept watering that little twig, that little stick. I mean, it just looked like a little shriveled up stick. And I thought, Dad, what are you thinking? This is just a stick. It's a twig. He says, be patient. (laughs) And he went out there every day. And it's a desert. Phoenix is a desert. He'd be out there with his hose. What are you doing, Dad? I'm watering my pecan tree. I'd say to my sister, he's watering his twig. (laughs) And he kept doing that. Five years goes by. It's starting to show a little growth. It's getting up to maybe four feet high. And I think, okay, it's not a twig anymore, but it's a sapling. You know, what are you doing, Dad? I'm watering my my tree. It's a sapling. (laughs) He kept watering it. Five years, six years goes by. 
it's growing. It's get, getting almost up to here. Finally, about seven years. It's almost up to about as tall as me. No pecans. It's, and I'm thinking, oh, Dad. <laughs> what are you doing? All that waste of water. Finally, by year eight, he comes running into the house. Look what I got. Look what I got. Look what I got. There's a bucket full of pecans. <laughs> and I, I looked it up because I thought maybe that was just a weird situation. Pecan trees are like that. Depending on which kind of pecan tree you get, it can take anywhere from 8 to 15 years before they'll produce any pecans. But my dad had faith. And he didn't give up. He believed in that pecan tree. I can never forget the first pecan pie my mom made. It was like manna from heaven. We were sitting in there just basking in the goodness. And he'd say, see the abundant fruit that God has given us. <laughs> Be like my dad in that crazy pecan tree. Don't give up. Keep persisting in prayer. Don't retaliate. Have a thankful heart. Thank God, even if you're in the midst of a bad situation, if for no other reason than it's driving you to, to your knees, be thankful for something and keep up this persistent prayer and it'll help you. God, through His Holy Spirit, will help you overcome complacency and push through whatever it is that's causing you to stall out and to be in God's waiting room. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you will speak to each one of us personally and individually about what it is we need to do next as we overcome the danger of complacency. May we have that persistent faith that Paul talks about and that my dad exercised in looking for fruitfulness. And I pray that our lives will become fruitful and that our prayer lives will become fruitful as we learn to pray for your will even above our own. Because then we'll start to see some breakthroughs in what you have in store for us. Father, we're desperate for you. Even the breath in our lungs reminds us that everything is yours. And so we give ourselves back to you. We surrender our will to your will knowing that you're the overcomer overcome through us and in our lives today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.